Heavy Cardboard, episode 155 with Liz Davidson. Coming to you from a theoretically very rainy Boston, Mass, and... A very hot Atlanta, Georgia. When is it not hot there? Uh, Welcome to Heavy Cardboard, where we talk medium and heavy strategy, board games, war games, 18xx, and other related topics in the board gaming hobby. We're your hosts. I'm Edward. And I'm Liz from Beyond Solitaire. All right. So, Liz, like, you and I have known each other for a while, and you've been on the YouTube channel, but the folks on the podcast might not. I I imagine if they're war gamers or they're solo gamers, they probably know who you are. But why don't you tell folks a little bit about you? Yeah, absolutely. I am Liz Davidson. I have a, uh, a YouTube channel, a site, and a podcast all called Beyond Solitaire. I'm in fact, everywhere is Beyond Solitaire. And uh, I cover solo games, but I've also developed a strong interest in the last few years in war and historical gaming. So you may also see me in those spaces. Yeah, if I, I ha- I've mentioned this during the weekly look ahead, that if if you... Enjoy solo games. Definitely go check out Liz's stuff because I'll be honest, I've used her teaches to help get me ready for playing new games for that I'm then going to teach on my YouTube channel. So, yeah. So thank you for that. I appreciate it, Liz. You're welcome. You're welcome. And you're, they say all the and, best teachers are thieves. So. Right? <laughs> Seriously. And speaking of which, I mean, you are a, a teacher by by trade, right? That is That is true. Yes. And and a uh, and is it a doctorate in in Roman history in history of some sort? Help me. Yeah, out. I uh, I have a PhD in ancient Christianity, and it is from Yale. I'll just t- I'll just say it's an amazing. There's no need. <laughs> I, I I am humbled by the people that in this hobby that I know that like they have doctorates from here or there. Like, yeah, yeah, that's impressive. to Uh, me. All it means is that I really, 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 really like one topic a lot enough to devote my life to it for many years. And then I'm a masochist. Those are the things that that, that means about a person. That's it. (laughs) (laughs) And, And you're a big fan of history as well. So it tells that as well, right? Yeah, I actually wonder sometimes if I um, took a while to get around to the war and historical gaming thing, because you'd think I would have just started there because it's the most in line with what I'm interested in talking about and thinking about in my regular life. But I think after I left academia, I was kind of getting over that, if that makes sense. But Not burnt out, but just kind of... Yeah, like when you leave academia, like I thought I was going to be a professor for a really long time. Like I really thought that I was going to finish my PhD. I was going to go into academia. I decided to become a high school teacher instead. And it was my choice. Like I could have absolutely tried to stay. But, um, you know, when you leave that research life, like you feel a lot of weirdness about it. It's like a bizarre divorce or like breakup and where you get sensitive about the things you used to enjoy together. You know what I mean? (laughs) That's awesome. And so, you know, it took me a little while, I think, to come back around. But then, like, all those research instincts and all the things that I learned, you can't actually keep them out of yourself when that's who you are. So everything's just kind of reemerged in this other way now. And I really enjoy talking about historical board games because it scratches that itch that I used to solve by scratch by trying to write research papers or something. That's fascinating, but and I think that's really well put. I think that's a really interesting way to look at it, like why you took a a break from that aspect of it and now why you enjoy it. Because like you said, it's 
part of who you are. It's what you're really passionate about. Yeah, you can't you can't escape yourself. That's <laughs> that's, that's awesome. So, uh, board game podcast. Uh, so we're we're not limited in time in a sense, but kind of this week. And so uh, we're gonna be doing kind of a couple episodes with Liz. Uh, we have this one this week, and next week, you and I we're going to sit down and kind of simulcast, if you will, between uh, Beyond Solitaire and Heavy Cardboard as far as. Uh, teaching games and how we go about it and why we lay it out the way we do and all of that. And I think that's going to be a fascinating topic given, I mean, you are, again, a teacher by trade. And I guess I am, too. Yes, you are literally paid by your backers to teach them games. I mean, that's you are a teacher in the truest essence of what you do for your job. I, I guess I had <laughs> never really thought about that, that I am, I guess, a teacher. Like, that's kind of cool because I found out when I was in the Marine Corps and I went to be an instructor, not a drill instructor, but an instructor for my job when I was in the Marine Corps, how much I really, really enjoyed teaching. And that kind of has materialized into what it is I do here. But I never really thought about it in that context until literally this moment. So it, that's kind of one of those... Like mind explosion <laughs> moments. Wow. All right. Um, so that said, this week we're going to talk about what we've been playing, you know, the the normal front end of the show stuff. And uh, that said, um, because you have been uh, busy with, with real life teaching as opposed to board game teaching, yes. <laughs> uh, I, I have been playing more games than you. So we figure I would start off talking about uh, a game that I had been wanting to play for a really long time and then it just got lost in the shuffle and then uh, then COVID happened and then now I can actually do it. And that's A Study in Emerald by Martin Wallace. I am fortunate uh, to have both the first and second edition versions. I had been told, um, I don't know by who or how I came about the knowledge that if you enjoy the types of games that we tend to enjoy, the first edition is going to be much more uh, our cup of tea, and the second edition is going to be a very streamlined version of that, or as I like to think of it, a gutted version. Well, we had played a few games now of the first edition, three, four, and I don't think we've gotten five to the table yet, but three and four players. Uh, a number of times in the second edition this last weekend, we got to the table as well to be able to compare and contrast it. And it's Cthulhu meet Sherlock Holmes, Neil Gaiman, Martin Wallace. Uh, mechanically, pretty simple game. It's a, it's a deck builder at its core where you have two sides where neither side knows who their partners are. And you don't know if it's a three versus one, a two versus two in a four player game, obviously. Uh, and some want to protect and save the old ones. The other side wants to destroy and assassinate them. And it's it has a really weird scoring mechanism in that you score for things, but you might not if yeah. you get revealed as the other side. And you might, so the score that you have might not be your actual score. And I think it's a pretty interesting way to go about it and come to find out. I really enjoyed the first edition. I've played one of the editions. I don't actually know which edition it was that I played. I um 
I need to go more again. Like life's just been crazy, but I have this awesome game group that they they have all kinds of good stuff. Uh, but we played a study in Emerald once. My memory is that I really enjoyed it mechanically and I was frustrated because I was definitely on the weaker team. And it was enraging, which is why I also don't assign group work as much as possible in my classroom. It's <laughs> 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 a group project. And I was the only one doing the work, man. <laughs> That's funny. Um, what I found is, and I, I would say everybody in our group who played it, it was only four of us. It was me, Martin, Mark, and Alyssa. I, or Ken and Alyssa. No, it was Ken and Alyssa uh, who played it in our group. And we played the second edition first, and then we went back to the first edition. And basically what we found is the second edition, I'm going to frame this nicely, and then I'm going to say it how I want to say it. It very much uh, removes a lot of the rough edges of the game, and it very much streamlines a whole lot and simplifies uh, a lot of things, the second edition, while still feeling like still a stunning and emerald. So let me translate that. It guts it and makes it a worse version of itself. Ooh. It made it to where, in my opinion, I have zero interest in ever playing the second edition again, having played it once and being able to, you know, in short order, being able to judge it against the first edition. I do think that something that Martin had said kind of hits pretty close to home here is that the second edition doesn't scratch enough of an itch or it kind of removes too much and it becomes just a boring game. And the first edition is a bit more, more convoluted than he would like. I think I'm okay with it, but I think if it could just be scaled down a hair it mm. would have been perfect um that said really enjoyed it glad i got to play it and hoping we can we can stream it ideally at five players so so yeah that's a that's a study in emerald on my end and i know the first edition is way harder to get a hold of and it is a eyesore a lot of pinks a lot of greens a lot of 80s neon called and wants its colors back type thing and it's it's got a lot going on as far as graphically in front of you but it actually becomes very clear once you know what you're looking at and the graphics fade into the background but at first you're like oh my wow there's a there's a lot of artwork and a lot of bright colors on that but i digress so anyway <laughs> studying emerald play the first edition skip the second edition in my opinion Good call. I'm I'm going to see. I'm going to trust you. Uh, so uh, my most recent my the first game I'm going to talk about is the one I most recently reviewed on my channel. So for those of you who might have seen me on Dice Tower, I used to review there, but I've actually moved my reviews to my channel with me. So once I get in the rhythm, that'll be, you know, something that is a regular output on my end. Good for you. And and that's not to disparage the Dice Tower, but good for you for doing, you know, doing it on your own. I think that's cool. Yeah, I, I like it. I've I've already noticed that I've gotten a little sassier. Like I sort of feel like I I, I love I love the Dice Tower guys. It's not that. It's that I know that Tom really worries about professionalism and about his business. And now I can curse if I want. You can. And be it's, you. I feel free. It, right. Well, <laughs> seriously, you should be able to do what it is you want to do the way you want to do it. So good on you. Yes, and regard. I'm. 
I'm slowly getting like a little saltier, like a little more, you know, free and easy with the way that I say things. So we'll see how that evolves. I think we all are as 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 2021 progresses. <laughs> <laughs> Guys, I already bottled it all up at work all day to not traumatize the children. You're just going to have to. <laughs> <laughs> no, teachers are like the craziest, not that crazy, but like when we leave work, it's like it just all flies because we've been being so good all day. <laughs> Um, but uh, yeah, I've been playing Imperium Classics and Legends. So that is a deck building game designed by Nigel Buckle and David Tortsey. And it has a very interesting solo situation because there are little bot charts for each of the different little empires in the game. And you can play as different decks and you can fight against different decks. And they all are a little different. And, you know, you have different goals depending on who you're playing, sometimes different setups. Sometimes these are just drastically different. Like they've been really experimental with how the empires work. So you can play something that's kind of vanilla or you can play something that's just wild and try it out. Um, the, the consequence to that. And I was open about this is that the game is fun. I really like it. It is a mess sometimes. Like you may, you need to check the errata on board game. Geek. You have to, there are crucial errors for solo, especially that must, or you can watch my video uh, or anyone's video. Cause like, you know, everybody's been fortunately mentioning it responsibly, but, um, you know, one of the bots didn't work. So you have to get the chin bot off of board game geek. You cannot trust the one on the rule book. Um, you know, I, I sort of feel like with all this creativity and variety, there comes mess to me. That is worth it because I'm willing to slog through much worse things to get my plays. So now that I'm used to it, I'm fine. But, um, I feel like if you want something that you can just get out, play it a couple times and put it away, this is not that game. How so? You should get it because you really want to explore the different decks because that's where the richest of the game comes out. And also, you're going to have a hard enough time setting up those first couple times that I actually think it's more fun the more you play it. Okay. All right. So that I makes would, sense. Yeah. Because um, I'll be honest, I, I hadn't heard of this from uh, from Osprey, and I'm looking at it, and they have everything from, like, this uh, the Celts and the and the Greeks and the Macedonians to the Minoans and the Egyptians and Atlanteans in different factions here. Yeah. So that that looks pretty cool. And it's not just a solo game; it's up to four players. I see. Correct. But you said the so ignore the the solo bot that's in the rule book and get the one. Well, that's for on one of the factions, most of the factions work. It's because they have a different bot for every faction. One uh, faction, the Chin, was messed up. Aha. And then, okay. so like, you know, because there's so much going on, I can see how that would happen. There's just been a couple slips. So check the errata on board game geek and you'll be good to go. But, um, yeah, there's a couple little surprises to catch. So is it, is it one V one, um, when you're playing it solo, like one yeah. faction versus like the, the Romans versus the Greeks, for instance, or whatever. Yeah. Although, you know what? I bet you could just fold the bot in. Like it mostly does its own thing and is a timer for the game. It, it can score points. It can take cards out of the market. Um, it can attack you if you're playing against the Romans or other attacky uh, empires. So I, I bet I wouldn't know because I, I really only play it so, being solo, but I would bet that you could probably fold the bot in to a two player game and just kind of adjust starting resources. I don't know. I bet you could, you could probably get away with it if you tweak some stuff. Okay. All right. Um, but overall, you're finding it really enjoyable? Yeah, it's interesting. 
Um, I, I'm enjoying it mainly because I like playing all those different factions and trying things out against different factions. So if you like to develop different strategies and have to be responsive to different conditions every single game and you want to switch up, this is the one. If you want to really play one thing and play it really, really well, like, I don't know, like a Euro game where you're waiting for your favorite card to come up, this might not have the same richness for you. Okay. And so you said Imperium Classics is the name and Legends is an expansion for it? There's two boxes that are both base games that can be mixed and matched. So Aha. I would say Imperium Classics has the more standard empires in the box. Oh, Rome, Greek, Egypt, etc. Right. Okay. Yeah. Gotcha. Actually, I think Egypt's in the Legends box, but Legends is the one that has the more experimental mechanically things. So if you want to go for the most wild stuff first, play Legends. If you want to play something that's a little more vanilla and then move out into more unfamiliar territory, start with Classics. Okay. All right. Awesome. And uh, yeah, I, I'm seeing How long does it play, would you say, like solo-wise? Oh, I could probably knock it out in 30 to 45 minutes at this point. I bet there are a lot of people who are a lot faster. Oh, really? Okay. It's not, it right, doesn't take that long. Like you can, okay. like all the board game, like tutorials are really long because you have to really talk it out. But if you know what you're doing, like you get to the point where you kind of memorize the bot after a couple turns, you know what it does. You can just kind of breeze. And so the, speaking of the, the bot and the AI, does it, is it an easy AI or easy bot to run or is it more... Oh, no, it's, it's pretty easy to run. You literally just pull a card off the deck. You look at what kind of card it is. You look for a match for that kind of card in the chart and you do the thing. Oh, and then okay. you move on. that's pretty straightforward. Yeah, it's, okay, it's, cool. nothing, it's nothing too crazy. It's it feels like a lot because there's lots of pieces like there's population pieces and materials pieces and all these different pieces. That everybody's picking up cards everywhere, decks everywhere. But none of, no one thing is actually complicated. Okay, cool. All yeah. right, nice. Um, yeah, I might have to check that out then. So Imperium Classics and Imperium Legends. Yes. All right. Um, I'll hit uh, I'll hit the big one, I guess, kind of on my list here of what we've been playing recently, and that's Oath. Um, so cool, Whirly. I, I tried to explain what this game is uh, in the last... Th- like, I don't know how you do It's an asymmetric sort of uh everybody's going to have their own win condition game that is card driven and makes for some really really cool stories. And I don't want to give anything away, but on that note of the really really cool stories, we just streamed our second playthrough or what we're calling chapter 2. It's just the second game and we're doing a little campaign of it. And uh there was there was a massive massive battle that went down and an unlikely <laughs> ending to that, that, uh, that was compelling and made for a really good story. And just the more I play it, it's a game, the more I enjoy it. And I, I think the game benefits from playing with the same group of people repeatedly. And I feel like, this is the type of game that I would totally be down for playing it once a week for a very long time. And I w- don't think I would burn out on that as long as I don't have to continually teach it. Uh, not that it's hard. It's just, it's hard to understand what it is you're supposed to be doing. It's one of right. those games. And that 
is what I mean by a co-early game. Like the rules aren't terribly hard and what you can do right. isn't terribly hard. It's what should I be doing? How do I advance my position? That's really hard. And I think um five, six plays into it, uh, you know, only two in the campaign, but we played a bunch to get ready for that. And I'm really, really enjoying it the more I play it. I've got to play this with some people because, okay, I have it. I want to play it. I have been avoiding it a little bit because I have not heard good things about solo and I don't want to be sad. So I'm going to have to, I'm going to have to brave it at some point, but I also need people to play it with too. (laughs) I have not touched the solo just because I don't want to mess with the world. Like at the end of every game, it's set up or, but from what I mean, it very much has a coin esque flowchart uh, to it. So that's the way it looks to me, at least. That's my impression just from a cursory glance at how the AI works. I definitely think this game is going to benefit from playing with a group of four, maybe five. I think six would be a bit much, honestly. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I've only played it three and four. And I don't know about solo, but I am curious and I'm probably going to let you break that ice first <laughs> and then yes. you can tell me how it was. I will. I will definitely do that. But I think you're right about a cold worldly game. Like I remember the first time I played Pax Premier, the, the second edition. And I remember like thinking, well, OK, it's not that hard to do something. I could do something on a turn. Like I understand how to do stuff. And then once I realized the consequences of my actions and how other people were using actions, then it clicked for me and I got really creative and got really excited and, you know, had a fantastic time, but you have to kind of try it and wait on in. And then, you know, yeah, it's like you have to poke the machine, like make it run a couple times. And then you're like, Oh, and it's really fun. And something you just said, I think sums it up perfectly. Cole Worley's games benefit from players who want to be creative in the way they play a game. Yes, I would say that's true. And I think that's, that's a, that's a really good way to sum it up. Um, if you like being a creative player and thinking outside the box, then, then definitely check out his games and yeah, but oath I'm enjoying far more than I enjoyed root. Ooh. Um, and, and that's not to say that I disliked root. I just am really enjoying Oath far more than I thought I would because I thought Root was more difficult than it should have been, Mm. I feel like, and Oath doesn't feel that way. It clicks better for me personally. Interesting. Yeah, I'm a big fan of Root, but of course I also like coin games, so it's like coin light. Uh, I also think it's funny you mentioned the flowchart for coin games. The thing is, I okay, I'm willing to do it for a coin game. I'm not saying it's an ideal solo experience for people who just want to have a nice evening playing solo, but for a historical simulation where I want to think about different factions interplay and what that's saying about history and, you know, movements of politics and people in a real setting. Like I'm more, I have a higher tolerance for bots that are that weight when I'm going to get something out of it. That's kind of like an intellectually satisfying thing. If that makes sense. Whereas, oh, it totally does. And the one that I keep going back to that I felt was unnecessarily complex was the solo bot of on Mars. And I, yeah. 
I agree with exactly what you had just said. Kind of, I felt that way about uh, Comancheria, to where it's it's not a super easy bot to run, um, but it, it it's a lot more involved than than others, mm-hmm. but not maybe at the level of a coin game. But that that's exactly it. Like it it rewards me with an enrich or I it enriches me with a rewarding experience historically that I'm a lot more willing to tolerate than I am in a quote unquote typical Euro. Yeah. I mean, if I'm playing a game just to play it, I don't want that. If I'm playing a game, cause I'm getting like that second level juice from it, then, then I'll tolerate a lot more. I, yes. Well, well put on that. <laughs> so yeah. Um, I don't know if oath would be that as a solo experience, because I think the story that, we you get in playing it multiplayer is fantastic right and i'm really really enjoying it but i'm i'm apprehensive but hopeful about the oath yeah. solo yeah i need to get my my to-do list is a mile long right now but i'm feeling better like those first couple of weeks of school are like getting hit by a freight train uh, of course and sure. so you know this this sunday i was like i'm gonna clean my house i'm gonna do all this stuff and i did some stuff until about two and then i fell asleep for like four hours <laughs> <laughs> I think I think you're allowed to do that. I think that's okay. <laughs> no, I'll sleep when I'm dead. I need so much more time. <laughs> I also feel that. I get that. All right, so that's that's oath. Uh what you got next? All right, I will talk about switch and signal. So you cannot get switch and signal in the United States and the rules are German, although somebody did put a translation of them to English on BoardGameGeek. But it is, uh, I think it's on Tabletopia. Anyway, it's a delightful cooperative train game that is designed by David Thompson. David Thompson. Yeah. Yeah. Oh. As you know, David Thompson is my, my buddy. So like he sent me a copy, which is how I have it. Um, <laughs> But it is really, really fun. Actually, you're literally just like adjusting switches to open up tracks for trains to be able to get in and out of different cities in Europe. Or I think there's an American side. And so you can like you're going to pick stuff up. You're going back to the main station, to drop it off. And you would think that that's really simple, but it totally is not because you're running out of time. And like the movement rules for the trains are just difficult enough to make things frustrating. You have to plan it out. And it is delightful. I really like it. It basically works the same solo as it does cooperatively, which is also really cool. Like, it's just a very efficient game in that sense. And I actually think that it's a keeper in terms of, like, I would play it with my parents. Actually, David Thompson designed to play with his parents who love train games. Um, I would play I, with... I love his parents now, just, just to be clear. Yeah. <laughs> I would play it with students. I would play it with... You know, it's it's one of those games that is brain melting but not because the rules are hard it's because you're really trying to figure out what you're supposed to do and you're like oh god like what is this what plan is going to work like a die roll could get me because you have to roll dice to see how far some of the trains will advance sometimes they move against your will and you're finding out how far and so you know there's a whole lot of little things that can throw you off and that makes the game difficult but the actual game play is super super simple how much and, does the randomness play a part in this? Like, as far as out of it, like, is it something that you can do a pretty good job of, you know, mitigating and preparing for type thing? There's a couple helpers who can bail you out of some stuff. And in terms of mitigating, preparing, I mean, the trains are where you put them. You're the one who failed to move the signal or the switch. Like you didn't, you're the one who didn't do it right. 
So like, you know, it's it's really about your timing and being aware spatially of what's going on on the board. So like, yeah, I guess randomness could screw you occasionally, but it's really more about your own bad planning and you being like, oh, God, oh, I should have done that thing. I should have moved this elsewhere. Like, oh, I missed that track. And awesome. That's what I like about it. <laughs> now, now I'm champion of the bit to get a copy of this. Uh, I'm looking at it on BGG and it's not something that would have ever hit my radar other than, Ooh, trains. Yeah. But, um, but yeah, hearing that, yeah, this, this looks, it looks deceptively family ish. Right? It does. In that's a, what I like about sense. it. <laughs> but to hear that it, 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 still you know is a brain burning oh that's really good type game yeah now yeah. now I, I need to get a copy of this for sure and the, the euro side is easier flip it to the other side and it's like oh america no <laughs> <laughs> so what, what what makes it harder um just this timing and making sure that you're getting trains in and out in the right ways you have a limited amount of time to get back so it's just like the way the space is laid out. It's just more challenging. Actually, okay. I'm looking this up because I I think David got nominated for a Spiel des Jahres award for this. He did. It's a Spiel des Jahres recommended. Nice. So there you go. All right. Well, yeah, now I'm switching signal. On the list it goes. Definitely. I, I actually really, truly, unabashedly recommend it. I need to actually make a, uh, a review video, but I like it a lot. All right. Yeah. Do that. And the fact that it's out of, you know, it's unavailable to most Americans. I love it. Yeah. Dude, go ahead. Twist that knife to all of us. Yeah. I mean, we have a unofficial, uh, rule that we mostly only talk about games that are impossible to get. So no, this totally fits in with that. Totally. Basically. I, I always feel bad about games that other people could not get. And I, I don't, you know, I don't because reprints happen and because there are a ton of games out there and not everything has to be the hotness and not everything has to be the latest, greatest. That's true. But I also feel like when you put a review up, people expect that if you liked it, that they should be able to go get it. And I disagree. I, I, I think we're adults and I think people can, if they, if it hits right in square in their wheelhouse, then they'll go get it if they want. I mean, let's face it. This is the board game hobby. We're not solving cancer. This is not medicine that is required for anybody's survival. It's board games. But if there's something that really hits uh, somebody, then you find a way to get it. You can get it secondhand there. I guarantee you can get it it's just a matter of, well, usually unless it's super obscure like there were only 12 copies made or something crazy. <laughs> but yeah, I, I hear you in that regard. But again, I just, I just don't tie myself to that for the simple fact that I think, I think people are discerning enough to, if they want it bad enough, they'll get it and, or they wait for a reprint or it come, you know, into English or whatever it is. But let's face it. If n almost everybody out there who's listening to this, if you never bought another board game, you probably have enough for the rest of your life. Still. That's probably true. And the other thing is that, again, I also think that's an expectation that people have of Dice Tower specifically. That's not an expectation that people necessarily have of me, which means that and the, and, yeah, on my channel, I, I mean, you know, I've got a copy of Republic of Rome. I need to spend some time with. Damn it. So <laughs> I, I have I have a copy in in the library. I, I here I would love 
for you to do that. Please do. It make my job easier. I appreciate it. <laughs> um, and because that's a uh, Richard uh, Richard Berg game, right? Um, I don't. You know what? I don't even remember. Is it? I just know oh, that God. it's a game that's about Roman politicking, and that's that's up my alley. It's just something that it, it takes a while to pick the game up. I've never really had the time because I've always felt like, well, I have this review copy pile. I need to make sure I'm doing things that. You know, like I was split for a while and now it's like, oh, well, if I want to just take a break and cover, I don't know, B-17 Queen of the Skies, there's no reason I can't. (laughs) I yes, that's liberating. You know what I mean? I'm kind of going to get. Oh, uh, I totally get that. And that's I mean, I I fell into that there for a little while. And now I'm getting away from that a bit to where less about what I have to do or should do and more what I want to do. And I think I think media benefits from that, which then therefore the viewers and listeners benefit from that more as well. Um, I was wrong. It's Richard Berthold. Oh, it's a Don Greenwood and Robert Haynes game, Republic of Rome from 1990, or at least this version. Yeah, I think the the Valley game. I have an old, like, I think it is an Avalon Hill edition that I have. Yeah. Avalon Hill is the original. Yeah, I've got that. I, I got on eBay eBay is your friend. You don't have to get it off of cool stuff. You can get it on eBay if it's out of print. <laughs> yes. I have I have done that more than I probably care to admit. Um, yeah. And yes, it is old school. Uh, uh, Avalon Hill. And I, I don't I don't think I have the Avalon Hill version. I have the Valley Games uh, version of it. But I, I know, um, I think it was. The game that I was thinking of was the rise of the Roman Republic as well as kind of, and maybe it's not a, you know, sibling game to it, but Carthage, the first Punic war from Richard Burke, mm. uh, Whereas the Republic of Rome, I've heard very good things about, and I, I, I got all these way back when, like, I also got successors, like back when I was like, oh, we're going to be able to play these all day long, super involved war game. (laughs) And then the show, and I'm like, I, when am I going to be able to do this with five people around the table for a week? But that said. Please, public realm, make it happen. <laughs> I have so many projects that I just want to make happen. Honestly, I wish that somebody would just pay me to exist for a year so I could do all the projects that I want to do. Like, if I could just not have to work, I would love to do a really strong, like, coin teaching series. I would love to do, like, there's just so many things that I want the time to do. And it's just, it kills me sometimes. I think about all the things I don't have time to do. Well, next summer, if you want to take a week... <laughs> Come on up here. Get out of the heat from from Atlanta, and let's make something like that happen. I I or 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 I could just facilitate, and you do it. I think that would be <laughs> awesome. I guarantee people would love that. I mean, just saying, just floating that idea out there. Just saying. It's it, it's anyway. on the potential calendar. <laughs> All right. So moving back into uh, games that uh, don't get a lot of run, aren't the latest, uh, the, the, the hotness or anything like that. 
but a game that we played recently, and I guess by the time this airs, we'll have recently streamed yet again. We streamed it a few years ago. Is a game uh, called Quebec, or Quebec is, but Quebec. It's designed by a couple of uh, Quebec natives, and I'm going to butcher this. I apologize, but Philippe uh, Bedouin and Pierre Poisson Marquis. Uh, I mean, if th those aren't, you know, Quebec names, I don't know what is, but it's a, it's a old school Euro in a sense that you, it, it spans the history of, uh, Quebec city over four centuries and mechanically very simple in the game. It's a, it's very much a cube pusher in that regard, but has a really, really clever scoring mechanism where you score one area and then whoever had the most in that area, everybody scores one point per cube that they have in the Citadel. And then whoever has the most cascades half of their cubes to the next scoring area of the five. Then everybody gets a point per cube. Whoever has the most there cascades half, so on and so forth, all the way down. And it just... It's just one of those games that just feels good and feels fulfilling when you play it. It just, it doesn't, I guess, theoretically, it tells the story and it has the historical buildings of Quebec as it, uh, as it throughout the centuries, not being that immersed in the history of Quebec. It is not as compelling to me in that regard, because it very much feels like a Euro in, in, in many ways, but it just feels good in what you're doing. And the game is just really enjoyable. And so we played it Saturday and we were like, yeah, let's play this some more. Let's stream this. So we're streaming it, uh, tomorrow night, or as you hear this earlier this week, have you ever played this? I am. I imagine not. I have not, although I actually did see it at a game store while I was on a school trip a couple years ago, back when I worked for a private school with students to Quebec. And that was fun. I was like, oh, I should get this while I'm here. But I just didn't because I didn't want to carry it back. It's not a small box. <laughs> yeah. um, and uh, and it, it's probably bigger than it needs to be, you know, that whole deal. But uh, yeah, it's originally came out in 2011. I think it would, I, uh, when we first streamed this two, three years ago, we had talked about how much this game would benefit from a reprint. It is very garish in the presentation with the colors. And I think the graphic design could definitely use some yeah. work. So it could use a, a, an update from, you know, 10 years ago, 11 years ago when it first came out. And you know what? The one of the designers when we streamed it was on there and said that they they would love to have it reprinted and I think it would do well. I think it's one of those you know how some games just feel like classic old school Euro, yeah. but in a good way. Yeah. That's what this does. This really much uh really does feel that way. And man, it every time it hits the table, I'm like, we should play this more. It's one of those games. So really enjoy That's it. That's really nice. That's right. So my big, my strongest memory of Quebec actually is taking kids to a game cafe called La Revanche. They're supposed to be working on their French. So we made it through. Uh, my, I, I had to pass a French reading exam for grad school. So we made it through uh, a game of Tales of the Arabian Nights in French together. That's impressive. It was really fun. Because it's all narrative. Right? Yeah. I mean, so we had to get like through the flavor Tales of Arabian Nights. <laughs> that's awesome. Really cool. I love that that's your like most vivid memory of 
visiting the city was taking kids to a game uh, a, a game cafe that's all yeah well they talked about what had happened at the game for like the entire rest of the trip like a mission yeah, accomplished right, then, right? <laughs> well done you <laughs> only a couple of them had come out and everybody else wanted to just stay in and then everybody regretted not going that's that's <laughs> awesome <laughs> Shit exactly The next one you got is a game uh, from Compass Games. Yeah, so I've been—I really need to get to this one for a while. I was sent to me a while ago. It's called No Motherland Without, and it is from Compass Games. It is designed by my computer is on the box. Daniel there Bullock, we go. Uh, who is very nice, and it is like it is a Twilight Struggle light that is centered on North Korea, and it takes you through the different eras of you know tyrannical dynastic rule there and uh you basically are playing as you know the north korean side if you're playing solo which is actually quite interesting so you're trying to block defectors from getting away and that's dark it's really dark it's really dark and you know i actually ended up reading a lot about north korea like inspired by this game because i wanted to you know understand better and it is a it's rough. It's really, really rough. I, um, I, I, there's actually pictures of real people on the defector board. So as you are kind of doing the push pull and trying to keep people in the country and trying to build up your infrastructure while, you know, keeping like trying to improve your reputation in the world against the United States efforts to like bring you down, you know, like you have to do horrible things and it's, a really fascinating gaming experience. Um, I'm not sure that it's the best game mechanically I've ever played in the whole world, but the subject matter is so good. If you want to, I'm looking yourself. at that at that picture of of the of the actual. Are these defectors or are these just like? Well, I think they might be pictures of actual elite North Koreans who uh, basically um, we know that the dynasty in power would kind of cycle through and when they didn't need people anymore, they could get just disappeared. So, um, wow. you know, like a lot of elite clean outs happened or have happened between rule changes in North Korea. And I'm looking, I'm looking at this and I, I think this more than anything, it brings to question then, and this isn't, judgment or anything because i am fascinated by stuff like this right that our hobby can force us to look at these situations and put us in uncomfortable situations and so as the solo you say you play on the side of north korea so how far removed is that then from a game being a, a soloable game where you play on the side of the Nazis or on the side of the Mongols or the side of, you know, the Russians, you know, during some really horrific periods of history. Yeah. I asked myself that question. And I think in this case, because North Korea is so understudied and it's so, I think hard for,
for Western people to identify with, I think that that also is different. Does that make sense? Like, you know, you never, for me, because I am a white lady in America who has never had any taste of true oppression in my entire life. Um, you know, for me, the game is a vehicle to think about that. Whereas it's, it's, it's very hard for me to identify with, you know, North Korean governments and that sort of structure because I, I have no map for it at all. And so I don't know. I, it's, it's an interesting exploratory experience. I'm still kind of contemplating how I feel about it. But I mean, at the same time, you know, um, somebody plays the pro jihad movement in a two player game of Labyrinth, the war on terror. Fair. I mean, they, they didn't yeah, release a solo it, mode for that. That's, that's a very interesting touch, right? It's like, what is it that we're meant to understand from this game? I actually want to have the designer on, if he'll come onto my podcast to talk about this. Cause I think it'd be a really interesting discussion. Once I've, once stuff. I've got the game fully played out. I love that these type of questions and these type of topics can be breached in this hobby now. Right. Yeah. And, and they can be approached in a, in a manner that isn't glorifying, you yeah. know, on uh, when you're on the wrong side of history, let's call yeah. it, but also makes you feel very uncomfortable in, in some of the things that you're doing and doesn't, shirk that and put a cartoon face on it. So yeah, to speak. like you have to actually look at somebody's real face and be like, Ooh, Ooh. And you know, I actually, I, I think that, so I'm very much of the, I, I mean, okay. If you listen to my podcast, you know, I'm a wildly liberal progressive person. This is true, but I'm also a very hardcore free speecher. My parents are both media and I take the right to express thoughts seriously. And so you know, I think that games, if they're sensitively done, if you're clear about what you're trying to do, if you are, you know, I mean, you're going to get criticized, I think, for making things that people have a problem with. Like every art piece a person creates is open to criticism. And I think that that's something that we're learning as a community of people who are usually very tight knit. Like as the hobby expands, you know, you create arts, you get criticized for that art. At the same time, it, I, I, but I, at the same time, art's job is to make you feel. Yeah. One way or the other. Right. So I'm pretty open to a lot of experimental gaming scenarios. Um, you know, there are things I'm not comfortable with and there are things that I, you know, I don't think that something like scramble for Africa should have made it to publication. I think that pulling that was the right call myself, but I think that if you're being, I agree, I think if you're being really clear about what it is you're doing, what your mission is, and you're open to hearing feedback about that, then why can't you do a large range of things? I agree with that. And that is something that I'm hoping one day you and I can sit down and touch on when it comes to um, historical stuff yeah. like Roman, so on and so forth. Um, but that is a topic for another day. But <laughs> yeah. Oh, you and I can, you and I can go on and on about. This I know. All day. I know the I, day I that I make this. it to Boston. Like, I don't know if we will sleep. We will just talk for like, I, I, I will hit record and yes, this is a yes. And I think, I think that would be awesome. Um, so that's pretty much it. Uh, I guess I could also mention Iberian railways, which, uh, is a cube rails. Oh, originally a winsome game 
uh, designed by John Bohr that the first couple times we played it, we were like, why this is stupid. This is not a good game. And then, oh, yeah, you got to read the rules, right? Um, the scoring on it, the way the scoring of uh, the most cities, it's not by player, it's by individual company and players may have a bunch, uh, multiple companies. And that completely changed and made the game far more compelling uh, than, than we originally thought. And after playing it, the first few times, everyone's like, well, I know we need to stream it. So yeah, I guess. <laughs> All right. Yeah, we'll do it. I'll be a team player. And I was like, hey, I really appreciate it. Thanks, y'all. And then I got the rules right. And everyone was like, oh, that was way better. Oh, yeah, that was good. Yeah, I'm glad we played that. Again. Okay, cool. <laughs> yeah, amazing how that happens. So just goes to show. Everybody makes mistakes on that. But yeah, Iberian Railways. Um, I enjoyed it far more than I thought I would because that subtle scoring difference made such a massive difference in uh, in the way you approach the game. So well done. Man. Nice. As far as acquisitions go... I got nothing. I have gotten no new games since the last podcast, but I guess when we're doing this every week or every two weeks, that's going to happen, right? It's going to yeah. ebb and flow. Um, so I really, I don't have anything. How about, how about you? Uh, I have some, I have like a pile up of things I need to get to actually. Um, so uh, among my review copies, I have Merv, which is a beautifully illustrated Euro from Osprey that, um, is about the Silk Road trade. I'm very curious about it. It looks gorgeous. I need to crack it. Uh, I also... And I'm uh, on that note, if I may, uh, I'm excited to play it. It's the same designer. It's Fabio... Uh, Fabio... Lupiano. Lupiano. Yeah. Who designed Kalimala um, and Ragusa. I enjoy Kalimala more than Ragusa, but I digress. I'm, I'm, I've heard a lot of good things, and I'm interested in trying it, so I need to get a copy of that as well. Yeah, I'm curious about it. And then I also have a copy of Sleeping Gods that I've just wanted to play. I would like to immerse myself in a gaming story sometime soon, and so I'm going to book some time, maybe like a Labor Day weekend adventure, and just play a whole bunch nice. of Sleeping Gods. And then stuff that, I bought my... That game is a... It's a table hog, isn't it? Like yeah. it's a, it takes up a big footprint, doesn't it? Uh, from what I understand, yes, but we'll find out. I have All right. my boyfriend to live. <laughs> <laughs> he loves me. It'll be fine. <laughs> hey, hey, that's how it should go, though, right? <laughs> hey, support your hobbies. That's okay. That's all right. Indeed. Uh, and then things that I actually bought myself, I don't buy as many games anymore. It is true. But I did pick up Agropolis because I loved Sprawlopolis, that little 18 card game for button shy. It's so smart. Such a little brain burner. Love it. So I'm really excited to try the sequel. And then um, I also have gotten copies of Lost Rings of Arnak and Under Falling Skies that are crying for attention. So Lost Ruins of Arnak, um, solo wise, I enjoyed it. I think I've played it three times now. I think I'm all set. I think I'm good. But I enjoyed it. It was good. Uh, Under Falling Skies, funny you mentioned that. I have had a copy of that and also need to get that uh, on the show and need to get it played. And uh, a friend of mine, Mark, actually um, had dog sat. And, and I was like, hey, help yourself to the library. Like, 
whatever, you know, knock yourself out if you want to dig into anything. And he was like, hey, you got uh, uh, two copies of Under Falling Skies in there. One is like a reviewer copy that doesn't have spoilers, and another is the is that full game. He says, if you want to stream something solo, like, definitely check that out. And I was like, awesome. Yeah, thanks. All right, cool. So that is on the short list of games to get to for me as well. Yeah, I'm, I'm excited about it. I, you know, it's, um, sometimes I get burnt out and just have a hard time, like with the churn of like learning yet another game, preparing to yep. fill yet another game. You know, it's, it can be a lot, um, just because work's been a lot. You know, I actually worked through the summer. I taught through the summer to make some money and now I'm like teaching again, it's fully in person. Um, it's scary actually. And so, you know, sometimes I come home and I just need to stare at the wall, but I'm starting to get that urge to play games again. And I just kind of let these things happen naturally at this point, because I've realized that pushing myself is a bad idea. I, I, I think everybody, whether you're media or just somebody in the hobby, I, I, I think everybody ebbs and flows like yeah. that. And I think it's, I, I think what you just said there is really important to not force it and let things happen naturally. I had, it's been a really, really, really rough spring and summer for me. And I have, it's been a struggle game wise. Like I really have not been feeling it at all, but now I'm back on that horse and I am really championing to really dive into some stuff, a lot of stuff. Yeah. Let's, hey, all right, let's do this. You know, that type thing. So yeah. I think that's natural. Yeah, and I think that and healthy. giving yourself the time is okay. It's okay. Like, there's no, you know, I mean, yeah, are there review copies that I wish I'd gone out faster because I feel obligated to get them out? Yeah, but it's not, you know, you, you have to do it when you're going to do the job right, so... I was just going to say, I think, I think the publisher would probably benefit from your enthusiasm coming through, yeah. whether you like the game or not, just to, just as a, I'm enthusiastic about playing games. I think that matters. I think that makes a difference. Yeah. So I, I, I totally agree. I also that. typically do not grade student work when I'm in a bad mood. Bad idea. Good on you. <laughs> we're human. <laughs> I, you know, oh my God, that never has occurred to me. Maybe a teacher's just pissed off and that's why I got the grade I did. Or or maybe that's just me be using it as an excuse. But good on you for thinking about that. Oh yeah. Well, like, like that's, you should not judge other people when you're at your worst. Like that's a bad, that's a bad idea. <laughs> I love that. I never would have thought, but it seems so obvious now that you mention it. But good on you for realizing that, having the self-awareness to do Yeah, that. I also, cool. if I'm pissy, I will not film the game review, then I'll wait a day. Because even if I didn't like the game, I feel like the feedback is the important part. So you have to deliver the feedback in a way that somebody can hear, as opposed to you. Like, a way that feels like scratching your rage itch, you know? It's not... <laughs> I'll be honest, I have not done that on a 100% level. That's all I'm saying, <laughs> but I, I, I strive to, so I, I feel you on that. As far as uh, anticipation and like hunting for games, shopping list type stuff, what do you got? No, no, no. I need to cull. I have too many games in this house. They're everywhere. 
I'm waiting until the Atlanta Game Fest in October. I'm going to take a whole bunch of them to the flea market. I'm going to be brutal. It's going to be some deep cuts. I'm going to sell these babies off. They got to go. No, I have too many games. Just I like the emphatic nature of that. <laughs> no, it's going to hurt. I want it to hurt. <laughs> but my question for you is this. As a reviewer, is it anything that you're ever going to want to reach back to to cover again or to enjoy again, even just from a game playing standpoint? How do you make that determination? Look, I realize I'm going off on a tangent and you weren't. No, no, this is actually a good tangent because I think that this is the same problem that people have when they can't throw away the second hammer when they have a perfectly good hammer or people who can't throw away their old TV when it's been sitting gathering dust for months and they have a new TV like. I do not look back if I just thought the game was okay. Like if I gave it a seven or less, it's definitely leaving. If I gave it an eight, it might be like, I do not keep anything, but what I really, really, really like. And I need to stick with that and get the okay stuff out of my life. So I can make room for other things. And also my, my tastes have been changing. Like, honestly, like this is, this feels so weird. I really, other than Mage Knights and like stuff from Chip Theory games, I'm just not that into fantasy games anymore. I used to love them. I used to have a ton. And now it's just kind of like, eh. You know, I, I just, my needs are changing and I need to clear my shelves out for the stuff that I know I'm going to really want. So there's no number, like I want to get down to X amount of games. It's, okay, if this is below an eight, you're yeah. out. If I don't love it enough to give it a high rating, why would I love it enough to keep it in my house? Good on you. Like, I don't have a library. I don't need, you know, nobody comes to, it's my solo collection. <laughs> I strive to follow in your footsteps <laughs> in that regard. Um, for me, it's, it's, wow. It, I feel like this is a broken record. Versailles 1919, I desperately, desperately, desperately want Imperial Struggle. And I have a uh, prototype of Voidfall Ooh. on the way from Mind Clash. So looking forward to uh, those three coming down the pike and as far as uh looking forward to playing it's it's a lot of what i said last episode but i thought i would include some other ones that uh people in my group have recently brought up an interest in that i was like yes um i want to play more quebec because i've enjoyed the place i don't want to play it a lot but i i'm looking forward to the the playthrough tomorrow night yinzi is one that i have been really really hankering to get played from spielworks I've heard that it is not streamlined and it is, it is a bit of a beast, but I really, I have yet to play it and I really want to, I've been waiting on Rand to come around and hopefully that will happen soon. And then uh, the under falling skies, which I already mentioned, and then two others that are older games. One of which that recently got a new edition struggle of empires um, is apparently a great game at five or seven players specifically don't play it with an even number i've been told and i think having uh a couple of folks up in maine come down for our playthrough of struggle of empires um both of which will how do i how do i word this carefully will help present the game in a way that explains the history of it that is struggle of empires one of which i think both actually are professors doctorates of uh history right and so i think that would be helpful um it's it's uh 
Oh God, uh, it's Russ, and I can't remember the other doctor's name. Same folks that we stream Pax uh, Emancipation with, and uh, they are huge fans of Struggle Vampires. So I want to get that. And last one is Fresh Fish, which has two editions, and I've heard the first edition rules are the better rules, but they are very convoluted and hard to really kind of parse. And so when I played it, I don't think we really understood everything five, six years ago. I really want to get that played again. And Shrey's been talking about it a lot. So, yeah, that's my list. How about you? Oh, there's uh, just looking forward to playing. It's just the stuff I've already acquired. Like, it's all set on my table. I'm really, really eyeing. Uh, actually, Grapples has been sitting in my bag. And I've just been waiting to have a lunch period where I don't have a meeting. Just been waiting. Um, I want to hear how that is because it looks pretty cool. Yeah, well, I love Sprawlopolis. So I expect I have high expectations for this. Very high. Okay. Also, you have to do me a favor. You have to cover Imperial Struggle and Struggle of Empires in the same week and just wait for the confusion to unfold. <laughs> <laughs> you know what? I might I might do it just for you. I might try and do that. Yeah. <laughs> that that'll be fun. All right. So I will try and time that. It'll probably be September, October, but yeah. Let's let's try and make that fun. Uh, I will write that down. Because I'm a good person. Same week. Thanks. <laughs> I appreciate that. And I can't imagine there's going to be any kind of pushback whatsoever. <laughs> so. Honestly, people will probably just laugh about the similarity between the titles or wonder if they're the same game. <laughs> right. Yeah. Right. Wait, is it struggle of empires, imperial struggle, or is it struggle or imperial struggle? Struggle of empires. No, two different games. Anyway. <laughs> All right, so that's it. That's uh, that's where we're at for this week. Um, so thank you, Liz. Yeah, thanks for having me on. This is always a pleasure. And it's it's always uh, it's always a, a hoot to talk to you. I really really enjoy this. Um, tell folks how they can get in touch with you or reach out to you or check out your content. Yeah, I'm all over the place. It's beyond solitaire. I uh, am pretty good about answering people on Twitter. I'm. On Twitter, less, but I, I do go on there and, you know, check messages and, and notifications. <laughs> and, uh, you know, I'm on Board Game Geek. I don't always check my geek mail, but I check it enough. Like, you know, I'll, get, I'll see it within the week. And, you know, my YouTube channel, Beyond Solitaire, is active. And also, I have a book channel. So if you want to talk about books with me, uh, Beyond Solitaire Books is my sub-channel where I review whatever I'm reading and round that up. And so if you want to talk about that part of you know, your solitaire entertainment life. I've got you. I love that. I have been camping uh, for the first time since I was a little kid. Uh, Jess and I have gone and, and whatnot. And it's really gotten me back into reading a lot more because um, there's something to be said about sitting or laying in a hammock overlooking the ocean, uh, reading a book. Yes, that is a good way to recharge. So, yeah, good stuff. All right. Um, we will be back next week with uh, talking about teaching games. So, again, thanks, Liz, and looking forward to that next week. Yeah, thank you. I'm looking forward to reconvening. <laughs>